This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. Golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore, and we are ready to launch into our second part of our subject on exploring Star Trek starships, this time in the Kelvin Timeline. I I always say it that way, and I type it that way. That's how I say it. I don't know. It's strong. It's powerful. It's it's quite all right. Because (laughs) when when, when this supernova incident transports Spock and a group of Romulans to the past and changes the prime timeline, we received a new vision of the original series ships. Yes, a very different look indeed. Uh, there are a lot of fans and foes of the reboots, but no matter oh, yeah. <laughs> no matter where you fall, there are a lot of interesting ships to explore in this new universe. Yeah. So, Zach, to the best of our ability, uh, I, let's let's try to go in order of appearance through these movies, uh, and we're going to cover from Star Trek 09 all the way through beyond, and. The first one we saw was the, the USS Kelvin and the Romulan mining ship Narada. Kelvin first. Well, the USS Kelvin makes a grand opening with the familiar sounds of space, scanning sonar, the, you know, the, those classic, they took the, the TOS sound effects bank and they used it, and that was, that was great. It was a great way to draw in the old fans. I mean, I know going into the reboot, you're like, what, what is this? You know, what are we getting? What, what do we expect? And, and they immediately won, won over the Uber fan with like, oh, that's, that's like the bridge sound from the original series, and that was great. It was a very different design, too, What um, for obviously this ship um, is before even the uh, pilot eras of the original series. As far back we had seen is the 20, uh, 2250s, and this is 2233. So Right, right. Yeah, it, I, I thought the ship itself was it, was, it was a pretty cool design, different, very symmetrical, which is Star Trek. It, uh, it had the secondary hull above the saucer and the engine below, just one engine below. So not a lot of redundancy if your warp drive goes out, that's for sure. But um, the ship is massive. It's massive in size. Yeah, Pike goes on to say it had 800 people on it. That's right. Yep. So twice the size of a, a in-universe constellation. Right. right? And, um, yeah, and, and, and it's just, it, it was really cool. It was definitely an older vessel. It was old even in 2233. That was that was one of the things that J.J. had mentioned, is that they wanted to give it an aged approach, like it had been out there for a while. And uh, if I if I remember right, it was on its way back towards Earth, but I don't know if it was back going back for decommissioning or not. Well, but, I, would, uh, I would assume that it was going towards Earth because in the prime timeline, uh, Kirk was born on Earth, but because of the stress of the situation, his, his mother went into early labor and he was born in space. 
Uh, yeah. So that that would that would make sense there. But yeah, this ship uh, we didn't you know as we talked about in our last episode, we never got to see any other true starship designs from Starfleet in the original series. It was cool to see a different design and a unique design to the reboots because even though it wasn't uh, didn't look exactly like a kit bashed Enterprise, <laughs> right? right. Uh, uh, but it still fit <laughs> as you say, can it still fit into the very symmetrical fit into the Starfleet line? So and I know when I first saw pictures of it, I think we all just assume that the the engineering section was going to be on the bottom but that was interesting switch would be at the top and why not right just to make something different uh that was cool and and it's a it's a tough little ship right (laughs) well one i guess it's not all that little and and, yeah yeah, and you are right it is it is tough i mean it had the uh instead of having phaser banks like we knew it it had those pulse cannons which Mm -hmm. i thought was pretty cool and, you know, it had a, a a neat feel to it. I, I really did like the ship. It took me a little bit to get used to it, uh, as, as all things do that are that are new. But as time went on, I, th- I thought it was really neat. And, um, and you know, when you say massive, I mean, I don't know how many shuttlecrafts it had, but mm. uh, it, it, had qu- it had quite a few. They just kept pouring out of the stern of that thing right, right. Uh, when they were going. Uh, obviously, um, it had what was interesting, I thought, the whole approach right from the beginning of the movie, and this isn't an 09 review but it's more of the ship review you know when we think of the aesthetics of a starship especially on uh, in the federation we think of things being very very clean uh you, you know from from tng we had the carpets even from the old series uh the ship was um you know immaculate uh, it, it 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 had a sense of newness and if you look at the movie eras it was the same thing um, very clean, um, not a lot of wide spaces. You felt very um, confined. And then, you know, in the in the Kelvin, we see this massive area. You know, people literally um, slinging down the sides of the bulkhead, and it was it was all wide open. It, it had a very, for lack of a better term, industrial feel to it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and I don't know if it was because the ship was on your know, battle alert or whatever, but I like the lighting. In the Kelvin, like mm-hmm. the interior, you know, the, the the bridge is very darkly lit, uh, very much like the TOS movie bridge, uh, and the you know, engineering, or I assume that was engineering when we, when we see, you know, somebody down in the bowels of the ship doing their thing. Uh, good stuff, you know, because the, the problem, the, the criticism of the Enterprise D interior is how it's just overlit and it looks like a hotel lobby and they're absolutely right when they when they shook things up on the enterprise d like when it went to red alert or when we saw an alternate universe version or in generations when they darkened the lights it looks so much better so much more cinematic and that's what this ship looks like it looks cinematic you know there's dynamic lighting here the atmosphere is there and uh you know and the bridge really feels like something that that could be pre-tos you know that's uh uh, the tough, the tough thing about the Kelvin here, right, is is if you follow the rules of you know the Kelvin timeline and the Prime timeline, this ship as we see it must have existed in the Prime timeline, right? And I don't feel like yep. I don't feel like it violates any major continuity. Sure, the uniforms are a little different, but it's twenty years before, so who who knows what the technology looked like? And <laughs> you know, and it wasn't too far advanced, is is what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Zach, when when people start going back and they say, well. You know, they're they're looking. There's a lot of people focused on canon and the way things are supposed to roll and the way things are supposed to evolve. If 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 you don't update 
your views, it's tough to get new fans in and to really appreciate it. In other words, you, you can't make it look like the technology is 20 years behind our own in order to fit a, a narrative within Star Trek. You've got to upgrade it. You've got to update it. I thought the the bridge looked looked worn, but it looked very very functional. I, I really mm-hmm. liked the ship. I really did. Yeah. It was, you know, and uh, its its ending uh, was probably one of the most beautiful dramatic scenes of any Star Trek film. Was was Kirk's birth, and you know, uh, obviously it, it taking part on the shuttle away from the ship, and the way that ship met its end. Um, the Kelvin has a, a has a very, um, I guess in my mind it has a, it's a very heroic ship for what it did, mm-hmm. and it obviously lives on in the Starship universe itself as salt and pepper shakers, like, you know, <laughs> I guess in, in the bar in Star Trek Night, I, 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 you know, I guess they just, they just have a salt and pepper shaker, but you know, we have salt and pepper shakers of famous things in our world. So that makes perfect sense. And the legacy of the Kelvin, not only is it that, but it's also the, the Kelvin pods, which you hear about in Star Trek beyond. So, you know, escape pods and things like that. I assume they installed those because of the Kelvin incident had there been a Kelvin pod on the Kelvin, perhaps George Kirk could have escaped. Which makes a lot of sense, you yeah. know. And it was like when the um, when the Challenger blew up, mm. you know, they they looked for ways to for the for the crew to be able to escape, right? And they they right. made some modifications. I don't know what the odds or the risks were. Um, if, if anything catastrophic happened like that again, but that 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 that's really smart thinking, and it shows some nice continuity there Absolutely. between the first and third films. And don't forget the Kelvin Library in in Star Trek Into Darkness. Was that the one that gets destroyed? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. well, that was come a, on, what, that what was the Kelvin Library. What a bad luck that name has, right? Stop naming stuff the Kelvin. It's a good point. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> good point. But yeah, no, I like the Kelvin, and uh, you know, we didn't see any other uh, starships of this class. In the last two movies, have we, Ken, since? Nope. We, no, we haven't. Have. They, they didn't really make it. But it did remind me when I was a kid of looking at those old technical manuals. It looked like ships that we had seen. Not not the exact same vessel, but we, we'd seen the ships with the one engine, mm-hmm. you know, kind of below the saucer and um, and sticking the secondary hull above, hull above it. it. It works. It just works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, a, a good ship, the Kelvin. And as you said, this, uh, this arguably, and I said this when we talked about Star Trek 09, uh, possibly my favorite scene in all of Star Trek, this opening to Star Trek 09, just a very emotional action. Like, it hits every, you know, level of entertainment you want is this opening scene, and the Kelvin is a huge part of it. And uh, I, I got hit in the feels when uh, George Kirk had to say goodbye to his wife and newborn son and sacrifice himself. So uh, th- that's really, as you, as you said at Beskin, it makes it makes the Kelvin a very heroic ship in, in the Star Trek universe. So Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I, I, I own the music, obviously, for 2009, and... Uh... I, I think of that soft, very beautiful music with a backdrop of all hell breaking loose and explosions and death and, and birth and, oh, it's crazy. But you're right. I agree with you, Zach. That probably is one, if not the most um, dramatic scenes in all of the Star Trek films combined. You know, you mentioned the shuttles a little bit and, and the industrial look, and I just want to mention this before we move on to to our, to our next ship. But uh, something that, that added to the, like the, the used in universe feel of the Kelvin was uh, when Captain Robau he goes on the shuttle across you know, to the Narada. He goes from like the uh, the cockpit to the back, and he kind of goes through these uh, clear plastic. Uh, Mm-hmm. you know uh, sheets like you'd see like in a, in a freezer you know in a grocery store or something i don't know why those are there but it just made me feel like this is a real universe it just adds added some some tactility to things you know yeah you you like having the feel that things that are that are real and it's funny that, that you say that because i've had those plastic um sheets as we call them um 
placed in, in a lot of my manufacturing plants. And the reason why is it, it keeps a lot of the, if you're in a clean room or a cleaner room, uh, it keeps a lot of the dust out. Mm. Uh, it also helps you uh, maintain heat and integrity in the rooms. So very, very inexpensive and very effective way of, um, of, of keeping airflow and everything else. So it, it's, it's, I guess the whole thing about the Kelvin, it's very util- utilitarian. Let's put it that way. Functional. Yes, yes. That's a better word. Well, the Kelvin, unfortunately, didn't last long, and that's all due to the Narada. So, Ken, what are your thoughts on the Narada? <laughs> it was one big badass mining vessel converted for use for military ops. Now, the ship was massive. I had to look up its size because I had never checked before. It's over 30,000 feet long. Mm. 30,000 feet. Five, was that five miles? Um, approximately, maybe more. I mean, that's big. Um, and, and it was designed to look like a knife and several knives protruding from the center. So very non-Trek design, right? And there was absolutely no thoughts to it being um, symmetrical. Just, you know, this, this, is, a, this is a massive craft that, that is used for mining. It is, it is designed kind of like a, a crazy freight hauler, right? So you could, you, it has spires, it has all these things. Um, it, it's, it's just a, a monster of a ship. And I thought uh, when it came through the, um, the wormhole, or I guess it was a wormhole, or the black hole, uh, it, it was tough at first to kind of get just how big is this thing? Because uh, up against the, uh, the silhouette of the Kelvin, it, you know, you were like, man, this is nasty. And of course, it didn't fit into anything we had ever seen before. So it being Romulan, um, you know, Romulans had a, had a pretty, pretty distinct um, design in the original series and in TNG and other shows uh, for, it, for its ships. And we haven't seen, if you think about it, we haven't even seen industrial ships really in, in Star Trek. Well, at least not all that often. Right. And so this thing, you know, it was, it was just a, a monster. I, I thought it was, it was pretty cool because it kind of, um, it went against the norm for Star Trek, so to speak. I didn't mind the fact that it was, you know, this big, massive monster ship. I kind of like that, although it's, it's a common trope. In, in Star Trek and, and in particular in the JJ movies, but yeah, overall I thought it was it, it was it was pretty slick. It was, you know, especially the interior. It it really looked mm. like something very industrial and dirty. And I, mean, I don't know why there was water everywhere, but sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, you, you've seen Alien, right? No, um, yeah, that's true. I don't know, I don't know why there was water on the Nostromo either, but <laughs> yeah, the Nostromo. I mean, I think there was a lot of pipes and there was right. all these things that you know. It's, it just, that's a good callback, though. It does feel very yeah. uh, HR gear, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's that's what I think of any time I see um, these types of ships in the Star Trek world because they're actually fairly common in other areas of science fiction where. Uh, most of the ships have a very, um, you know, naval or, um, uh, I guess, maritime feel to them, you know, where mm-hmm. there's a lot of pipes and hydraulics and things are, you know, there's, there's just stuff everywhere. And, 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 and it's probably more realistic, to be honest with you, because uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably easier to build that way than to try to hide it all and, and to spend money, even though there's money. And no, there isn't. Yes, there is. No, there isn't uh, money in the 23rd and 24th century. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of effort into, into things that um, uh, you wouldn't necessarily need to 
on a uh, on a floating factory. Well, the thing about the Narada is, you know, it's from the future, so it actually makes sense for it to be some big, massive ship. And even even the weapons they're using, which are probably just simple weapons by the twenty fourth century, or is it twenty fifth by then? I don't know. I haven't done the math yet, but <laughs> the twenty fourth century technology uh, would just obliterate anything. It's like if we took a, a fighter jet back to the seventeen hundreds, right? It was just it's there's no contest, and that's the thing about the Narada. You don't have to be well, a a skilled yeah. military commander like you know nero's just a guy right he's just a miner and they're a bunch of miners and they can just go around do their thing without any opposition just because they're so powerful you know uh based off being from the future yeah i i think it's only 125 years ahead of the um the kelvin just to give it some scale that's true uh, okay right. yeah yeah and 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 you're right though i mean 125 <laughs> yeah technology's changed a little <laughs> in a, in 125 years so yeah I, I think you're right there was the i don't know if you read the uh, the countdown comic books i did i did yeah yeah where it kind of assimil- assimilates uh, uh, uh board technology, technology yeah it's, and all that other stuff but that is that is not considered canon uh, so <laughs> well it was written uh, by uh you know the writers of the film so oh i know i know it's just funny you know i was i was doing a little research and head of this show and and, and i i do get a kick out of this um what's canon what's not and all this other stuff i you know for things that aren't real i i, I get a real kick out of it you know the the, the amount of energy that's spent but Art. they actually called it apocrypha. Yeah, yeah no, exactly <laughs> oh that's apocrypha that's not canon <laughs> it's like... and i just i just i i <laughs> Okay. We don't recognize so, that here, sir. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, 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 believe me, I, I love Star Trek. I like continuity. I like things making sense. I really, really do. Uh, but some things you just kind of go, well, why are we labeling it like this? And uh, I haven't used the word uh, canonical in a while. Uh, so uh, I will just say that the, the comic books, I guess, are not considered conical to, to the story of, of 09. And that the Narada, which seems to have just batteries of missiles, lots and lots of missiles. Uh, and, and that's fine. Why that would be on a mining ship, though, quite honestly, it doesn't make any sense. So... I guess uh, between the books and whatnot, whatever you think, uh, it, you know, maybe it's just self-defense or the Romulans, you know, uh, if they're out there mining uh, in, in unexplored territory, they have to have a way to defend themselves. Well, you know, the uh, the thing about the Narada and the Borg connection is it does look kind of like Borg because it's, it's black, metallic, angular. The inside is there's green stuff going on, lights, and so you can kind of see you can kind of see a Borg influence there. But at the same time, you don't need to know that. That's the great thing about 09 and all the tie-in stuff. You don't need to know any of that stuff or to appreciate the movie and for have the movie to make sense on its own. You just understand it. This ship's from the future, and it's more technologically advanced than everything else in the 23rd century. So it works. That's right. Uh, and, That's right. and, yeah, I mean, I joke about, like, the water, standing water and stuff like that. But, you know, whatever. It, it adds atmosphere. And, and I did like... Um, like Scotty says, if if, if the ship has any sort of sense, I'm gonna bring you into an empty cargo hold, and, and they beam Kirk and Spock like right into the <laughs> command center. Yeah, right of this ship. <laughs> so at least they're they're. I, I like how they're recognizing the fact that yeah, this ship is weird. Uh, but yeah, other it, alien cultures wouldn't think the way we do, and they 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 make ships differently, and and I like that about the Narada, how it's just completely alien. Oh, it is, yeah, and that's that's a great introduction, I think, for Star Trek. I really do. I think I think the more things they introduce to keep the fans excited and interested, uh, and and really, you know, as they say, get your geek on. I think that's wonderful. So, all right, Zach, are you ready? Let's punch it. Let's punch it. The new USS Enterprise. I'm listening. Oh, you want me to go first? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, you know how we said that the original design of the 1701 is perfection. And it's hard to improve on perfection, but somehow in 1979 they did it. 
the uh, Enterprise refit and therefore the Enterprise A improved on perfection. That is, I know it's my favorite ship design, Ken. I believe it's yours as well, the uh, the refit. And um, yeah, that was perfection. And you know, you can't catch lightning in a bottle three times, all right? <laughs> and I feel like with the Kelvin timeline, Enterprise, it's okay. You know, it looks like the Enterprise enough, an updated version, you know. But part of the beauty of the original two Enterprises was its uh, balance. You know, we talked about how it's just equally proportioned, and you just look at it, and you're like, man, that's... I know aerodynamics don't matter in space, but that thing looks good, you know. And um, look, I don't dislike the JJ prize, if you will. But I do feel like, I don't know, like, this is a good first draft. Maybe mm-hmm. you should have perfected it a little bit. I don't, you know, I just feel like it's it's smushed. There's not enough neck on it. The nacelles are kind of oddly shaped. Like, they're not circles. They're not straight lines. They're kind of humpy. Um, so I don't, I wasn't, I didn't immediately see this shit. I'm like, yeah, that's the new Enterprise. Like, that, that was my, that's my take on it. You know, it, ha- it has grown on me, but that's, that's just my honest opinion of, of, hmm. of the new ship. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read a, a description that came in from, from David Bellew. And forgive me, David, if I'm saying your last name incorrectly. Uh, and, and he wrote on the Babel Conference, I've never had a problem with the ships of the Kelvin timeline. Yes, the Enterprise looked a bit ungainly. I think that's apt. But it's a spaceship. Normal rules of aerodynamics don't apply. There are always things we uberfans can find to complain about. But the fact is that the folks who worked on these movies had to make everything look exciting and futuristic to modern audience. I'm pleased with the job they did. I, I think that sums it up perfectly. I, uh, you're right. I agree with you. I am a huge, huge, huge refit fan, right? That's, that's always been um, my favorite ship of all the Star Treks. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is because it's... it's um, it's it's symmetrical and it's and it's all those things and I think that scene in Star Trek the motion picture just you know had me fall in love with it but you know I have said it before and, and it, I know it's some for some people they they always cock their heads and they go huh but the Enterprise is my favorite character in Star Trek okay and when <clears throat> when this movie came out I was so pumped to see what they were going to do with the Enterprise. And I can't say that when I first saw the movie, I was really pleased with the design of the ship. I, I you know, it, I remember J.J. describing it as being a bit of a hot rod. And when I look at like a, a, a late 1950s hot rod, you know, a modified car, that is kind of what it reminds me of. Um, it's big. It's kind of bulky. Um, the parts that I that I liked um, were more about the aesthetics on the inside mm-hmm. uh, and more as the movies went on, to be honest with you. I. I, I can't say that I was a big fan of the brewery per se uh, for the engine room because it just it just didn't make any sense. But the bridge itself, uh, extraordinarily modern, clean, and uh, you know it, it's a brand brand spanking new ship. I mean, right off the right off the docks, it was literally you know getting commissioned uh, when they were taking it out. So the bridge was white and shiny, clean and brand new, and it just had an aesthetic that uh, I really appreciated. You know, and it looked like. There were a lot of uh, neat gadgets and gizmos, and I wouldn't say it was as functional where I could point out what every station did along the way like you could in the motion picture, but it, it, it was effective, and, and it kept me coming back for more, you know what I mean? And, and as time went on, I got, I got more and more used to it, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, as, as we talk and as we, we're going to bookend this discussion, we'll follow up at the end uh, kind of where it all went, but they did make some slight tweaks as they went to it, and I think we, we, can, we can talk to that as we go. Yeah, I mean, Christopher Baca on the Bible Conference had this to say. He says, the only thing I didn't really like about the new Enterprise was the profile of the ship, the neck always didn't look right on the secondary hull 
I didn't mm-hmm. like the interior for the engine room. I think we're all kind of in agreement there. But he says, Into Darkness, they did a little better, but I preferred the look in Beyond. So that that kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Ken, how they continue to refine it as, as the yes. movies went on. And, you know, I, look, a lot of it is familiarity. I mean, I, I grew up with, you know, watching the original series and the movies. So the refit Enterprise was not some new thing to me. It wasn't like, this is the new ship, guys. It was, I just knew that these things existed. So there's a certain familiarity we have with the older designs, that that we keep and it colors our opinion towards this new design and that's that's you can't get around that nostalgia is a powerful <laughs> is a powerful motivator you know oh, it so. is <laughs> so you know in, in 1979 and i remember and and you know my memory sometimes fails me at times but in 1979 when i saw the movie uh the star trek the motion picture i was 13 uh 12 actually no, I was 13. It was in December, so my birthday is in November. Just making sure I had my math right. So 13 years old. And in watching that movie um, play out in front of me, that scene around the space dock, it was incredible, right? And they have never captured that, that moment again uh, in, in Star Trek. Not that they need to, because th- there wasn't anything really being introduced that um, would draw you to have to do that, right? They didn't make a big deal of uh, the Enterprise A, other than it was a nice surprise and they came home. Or in um, uh, First Contact, when they show the Enterprise E, it, you know, it's silhouetted nicely with a nebula or something in the background, and it it looked cool. But, it you know, you are introduced, like, I don't know, maybe two minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very understated, the Enterprise E, and I'm like, kind of two worlds on that. I kind of like how it's like, look, here it is. Just let's get into the action. But the other hand, it's like, hey, this is a big deal. A new Enterprise is always a big deal. Maybe we should have treated it as such. Yeah, so. yeah, I, I agree with you. They underplayed it. So when it came to this movie, um, and that's the one thing about J.J., is he, is he moves to a fast pace. You know, I mean, um, there's, you know, sometimes he's on the 2-4 and I'm on the 1-3 trying to keep up with him. <laughs> he's just always going. And and I would have liked to have had um, a little bit more time, I guess, when they first showed the ship. Now, they, they did a flyover and, you know, obviously flying into the, to the shuttle bay. So they spent a, a, a little bit of time on it. But you didn't get a good uh, look at its profile or anything in the beginning. And as the movie went on, you kind of get caught up in it and, and you can see it better. And when you look at it straight on from, from the bow, when you're looking at the bow of the ship... It looks very much like um, the the original series Enterprise mm-hmm. with the tweaks from the motion picture. So it had the saucer, a very large saucer from the motion picture, and its windows were, you know, it had whatever it was, the six or eight across the top and the two at the bottom all the way around. It had the same flow. And then it had the lettering from the original series, you know, mm-hmm. where, it, where it's not curved, and all the things that we you, you can kind of pick up on. So straight on, it looked very similar. Um, and then from a uh, from 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 the port or starboard view, it looked very different as well as from the stern. But it's like I said, it, it's grown on me a time, and the tweaks that they made to it, even to its overall design, you could tell. Um, it seemed like uh, they were trying to slowly morph it into something that we were more used to. At least that's the impression I get. Mm-hmm. And we can we can get back around to that at the end as we wrap it up. Uh, but okay. you know, to that to that point, can uh, Lee Hutchinson had this to say about uh, about what we're talking about the introduction of the ship. He says one of my favorite touches in Star Trek 09 is that when we first see the Enterprise in orbit, is that the ship is too big for the frame. It's a lovely touch that shows the size of the flagship. I'd never seen that sort of idea practiced visually in Trek before. It's a unique approach for our first beauty shot of the Enterprise. 
and uh, Dan McWilliams agreed and compared it to the motion picture fly flyover, which we're talking about. And and that's a cool that's a cool point. I I do feel like in these films, J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams and Justin Lin shoot the Enterprise in new creative ways that we've never seen before. And I appreciated right. that because I mean this this ship has been shot to death <laughs> over over the last fifty years, you know. So, <laughs> well, I guess too, it's probably a little bit different when you when you can program it versus then you mm. actually have to use a camera. And and I am not intelligent enough to speak on on how they do those things. I'll leave that to the. Uh, to the Aaron Harveys of the world and probably yourself that are, you know, very uh, technically savvy as to how these things are done. So I know it gives you a, a lot more options to play with as to even, you know, the aspect of the ship and the courses that it's taking. And, you know, uh, you know, we kind of saw a whole new warp effect uh, in this show. You know, it just kind of snaps wow. to uh, in, in 09 and, and then by beyond. It, it has a real cool effect that we only see for a few seconds where it looks like it's, you know, it's literally... Uh, passing through the fabric of space through this warp bubble, so that you can really play with it, and that that's that is a neat, neat piece that uh, we can do today. Although, I will say that um, nothing, nothing looks as good as a real model, uh, in my yeah, opinion. I agree. You, I hundred percent agree with you there, for sure. You know, and 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 the work that goes into something like that, and the craftsmanship, you know, uh, and to take nothing away from designers, graphic designers, and and people that, because what I understand, you have to build. Um, a mock-up of some kind in order to film these things. So I know you, you get both in these movies, but uh, I'll always appreciate the, the level of detailed work and the lighting and all the things that have to go into it. Um, what do they say? It's a, it's a real practical effect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's probably why, too, the, um, uh, the Enterprise refit, uh, because none of the effort in any of the following movies came close to the effort that they took to try to light that ship perfectly mm-hmm. well i mean some of the some of his psychology right you know in your mind that this is a real thing you know and then you look at a computer image and you're like well uh, i don't think this is i know this isn't real so something something in your mind clicks and you're like eh, i don't know even the even the best cgi in the world still kind of has that uncanny value effect even not not just with people or creatures but but spaceships as well you know since we're talking all nitty-gritty here again let's let's talk a minute about the deflector dish i know uh and and forgive me if i'm not pronouncing your name correctly but so hib mirza rib on the babel conference uh pointed this out they said that they love the enterprise deflector dish and they wish they worked in an, in a deflector energy pulse beam in one of the films to kind of see it fire something and uh and i have to agree i think out of all the enterprises uh, that we've seen this deflector dish is the most it looks like it could like fire a fire a beam of some kind and i you know i the, the, i really do like this deflector dish uh for the for the new enterprise here kim what about you yeah, I do too. I, I, I like what they did with it. They kind of uh, met the, the difference between the TV show and the movie Halfway, which is what they mm-hmm. were doing with the whole show. Exactly. And uh, came out with a real neat effect. So it's it looks too like there's there's a lot of connections to it and that it's it's got it's it's a it's a very powerful device. It has that feel, no doubt. Mm-hmm. That's a good call out by uh, Shoab. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, so that's uh, that's the outside. We talked a little bit about the inside. I do love the inside, like in, in Into Darkness when Spock and Kirk are, are, are walking before a, they go on the space jump. You just see like a catwalk and just people, such activity going on. And it, it really opens up the scope that we never even got in the, in the films, you know. And of course, Nick Meyer made everything very small and submarine-esque and claustrophobic yep. and uh, this really op- opened things up. And yeah, you're on a, this is, these movies have the biggest budget Star Trek's ever had. Uh, but the money is on the screen, you know, I'll give him that because the stuff looks great 
and uh, it really opens up a ship. And you got you got to think that that on a massive starship like this, you're going to have you know walkways that open up, and it's, you're not just going in these little hallways all the time. And I liked the scope, just like I said, not out, not just outside, but inside the ship. It really made you feel like this is a massive, massive ship uh, going on. Oh here. yeah, it's got it. Well, it's it's the largest Enterprise ever filmed mm-hmm. i think be well maybe the second larger after shatner's in star trek 5 which had 74 decks or something like that <laughs> i'm sorry i couldn't resist we we obviously know that there are some people that pay attention to such things and then there's other people very familiar with their jobs but pay no attention to sales and, and i, be, and I believe it went by some of the same decks twice as they were going up that elevator shaft but oh uh, it certainly did yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was, that was a classic. Anyway, um, but it, yeah, it's 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 huge in scale, and you get that appreciation for it, uh, very much so in, um, in in this movie, and and yeah, uh, well, really, in, in Into Darkness. I mean, it's a big scale. It's a huge scale in the first movie, especially when they're running around the brewery, and even when they're yeah. going to the communication I, station right there by those uh, those big tanks I, was pretty cool. I um. I don't know. I don't. I know we're talking about the brewery, and I, I, you know, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really fit the Star Trek aesthetic, but I didn't really mind it as much. People really, people really seemed to, to not like that at all. And I'm like, eh, okay. What would you, what would you rather do? Them go to like a blue screen and have it be all fake, and you'd be like, why don't they just go to real location? You know. So I mean, you know, they did something practical. I, I don't. I mean, they didn't carry it over to the next film. I believe. Where exactly did they film the engineering in Into Darkness? Can do you recall? It was like I don't a, know if they used the the same. Well, I, no, no, no. They used a, a tech center. I remember right, that because right. that that uh, warp core is real. Whatever mm-hmm. it is is real. <laughs> I, don't, I forget what the hell it does, mm-hmm. but it is it is a real device. So yeah. I, I don't know where they went to. You know, they obviously they went to some high tech manufacturer. I, I think that was a perfect compromise between like you know set and CGI and then like going to literally just a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, I, I, I guess to be honest with you, I, I didn't dislike the brewery. It, 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 it didn't take me out of the film at all. When I see all the catwalks and the valves and things like that, because uh, in in when they when they were first on the Kelvin, they also had that that big industrial feel, and that was a different type of factory. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't bother me as much. The thing is, um, when when I think of the engineering sections. And I think of something being very modern. It is odd to me that they have not been able to capture at all what they were able to build in 1979. It just drives me crazy. That that effect of the matter-antimatter flowing from top to bottom and then out to the two nacelles... Um, is perfect. It is. It is mm-hmm. the absolute best engine. You know, uh, the TNG thing with the Las Vegas lights. I never was like, "What the freak are we doing with this?" Well, hey, yeah, hey, you got to give yeah. Voyager credit because Voyager pretty much copied the motion pictures. They, uh, yeah, they went back. I do. Gi- I do give them credit, and they gave it. You know, and it was the right size and scale for that ship, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you there, Zach. And but they, you know, but the aesthetic. I mean, and then wearing all the anti anti radiation suits, whatever. It felt like you were in a modern engineering section. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, it's you know when you're in engineering levels of of any ship or whatever, it's very confined. It's not all wide open like that, and and that's you know. But it's it has you know tubes and wires and channels. Well, yeah, and the, the sky thing and in things. the pipes yeah. was a little silly. Like I could have done without that. You know, like yeah. oh, we've got to get Scotty out of the out of the pipe and you know silly stuff. But you know, I I just I just say it. I, I bring fine. it up because it seems to me like whenever people don't like the reboot films, like oh. Gave stupid engineering to beer factory, man. I'm like, come on, it's 
yeah, yeah. That, that, no you know what i i don't mind the fact that 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 abrams and his team put their thumbprint on it and gave it its own you know sense of character size scope and all that it doesn't it didn't didn't bother me at all right. i just there there were certain aspects that when you know especially on the exterior side um they tried to improve like the deflector dish and things like that and they they kept the saucer the same but gave it attributes from the original series I mean, the bridge view screen was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, you know, we, it was a should, window. We, it was multifunctional. That. That, really, that was that was awesome. Yeah, that's it's something that we, everybody it, it, it seemed to be misunderstanding in Star Trek Past. We're like, no, they're not looking through a window. It's that's a that's a video screen. Everybody's looking at. Uh, but this was the the best of both worlds. No pun intended here. With, with it is a view screen, but mm-hmm. it's also a window and it's data displays and all because you know this is we live in an age of widgets and all sorts of, you know all sorts of apps and stuff popping up on the side and the and of course it's, ta- it's a tactical display so you'd see like all the relevant information you know on the screen and it's not just you know a picture of you know the space. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really yeah. thought that was a cool thing. Now, I guess you know, being a military man yourself, Ken, you can speak to this. I don't. I'm not sure uh, what the tactical strategy is to having your command center exposed on the top of your ship, and then also have a a glass <laughs> a glass entry point. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you know, it's funny on on ships. It's if, if you've seen um, Battlestar Galactica, I assume. Mm-hmm. That's probably more realistic. So they weren't ever really on the bridge as much. They always they were in CIC, which was the Combat Information Center, and the CIC on a ship is somewhere in the in the center, kind of a well protected area where you know you have um, your, your control rooms in your center. If anybody's seen the last ship, they they spend a lot of time in CIC, but there is a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a bridge with windows, and it's usually up high, so you can get a good view. And you know, you you steer the ship, and all the information is fed from CIC, and that that really does make sense. And when you when you see Star Trek 09, you know, one of the things that finally made sense is that there was a whole communication center, right? There were all mm-hmm. these people processing messages, going back and all that forth. When he goes and finds Uhura, and then there's the one station up on the bridge, so you know that there are redundant systems in that ship. So as far as where the captain sits and all that other stuff, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't know if it's the most practical thing, but, you know, uh, it's it's also not necessarily just a ship of war, right? And um, uh, it, it does add kind of a kind of a cool element to it when you have when you have both the glass and that combined view screen uh, to uh-huh. me that was the bee's knees man I, yeah. I loved it when they showed it on the kelton uh, kelton the kelvin and when they when they brought it back for well yeah Enterprise. and you get to see these great shots of you know uh, and abrams and then lynn after have these really cool just like circular sweeping shots of the enterprise because it, they really embrace the fact that there's no up and down and left and right in space right so we get these That's cool right. establishing shots you know we turn it upside down and we see the the crew on looking out the window and it's just really cool stuff on the bottom line look guys this is entertainment this is this is fantasy right so this is it's good looking stuff so yeah we nitpick about you know why would they have a command center on the top of the ship and why is engineering blah 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 but it looks cool at the bottom end of the day it looks cool and i thought it was great yeah yeah, I mean we're we're taking you know uh, earthbound concepts and putting them in space, and you know what? It's fine. It works. It's it, it, it you know who, who cares? Um, you know, and like I said, it's 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 funny if you if you um, if you look at a true warship like Battlestar, the 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 new one, not the old one, the new one. <laughs> so say we all. Uh, They'll say we all they they have they have that that piece of it down as far as that's really in the bowels of the ship somewhere, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they're able to control it and and it's it's heavily protected. So anyway, onward we go. So as um as as the as the Enterprise pulls out of space dock and heads towards Vulcan, 
um, you know, there was a lot of, of ships in the fleet, um, but it was really hard because we just get kind of these glimpses of these different these different ships. What, what were your thoughts there, Zach, on, on some of those ships? Well, you kind of you have to slow it down almost to, to assimilate what's going on because, like you said, J.J. has like a, a pace and we keep moving and moving. It's the, you know, it's the George Lucas philosophy, you know, faster, more intense, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it really reminded me of, you know, the old Star Wars movies where, you know, you have the Rebel fleet and the Millennium Falcons flying through it, and we don't really focus on any of these ships. They just kind of pass us by. So, uh, you know, they, they, I really have no strong opinions either way about these ships. I think, you know what, these these look like Starfleet ships. They look like they all fit. I'm glad they're not just a, a bunch of Enterprises copy and pasted, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like seeing more of the Federation ships, and, you know, I, I wish we would have seen more of them. Obviously, by the time we get to Vulcan, everything is trashed. <laughs> we really don't get to see very much of it. Can't it's a really, mess. Can't really judge it, you know? <laughs> you see other stuff, and, and it adds some scope. Because the enterprise, for once, the enterprise is not the only ship in the quadrant, right, Ken? You know that's that's an excellent piece, and and you you get the feeling that that space is so big and so vast uh, that you know if you're within two or to four weeks of whatever the trouble spot is, you're in pretty good shape, and and that really changes right in time, especially like Deep Space Nine and other things where all of a sudden it's like, well, where did these huge massive fleets come from? Because even in the original series, they're always talking about what they're twelve, if I remember right. Twelve yeah, ships. Twelve like, ships. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we see the, each one of them get destroyed it, as the, over the course of the show. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, it said that it's very special and it's unique and it's you know it's very rare to command a ship of its size and scope and um, you know and capability. So so yeah, you're right. It it is odd that it wasn't the only ship and it wasn't even their main fleet. It was you know just a yeah a the bunch back. Of ships I was like, well, it, the rest of the fleet is off engaged and blah 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 blah. But we got the, all these ships. <laughs> Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, and we don't have enough people, so we're going to take all the kids out of the academy and put them to work, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, it was, you know, Matt Rushing says all the time, you know, sometimes you have to stop and let some things breathe, <laughs> yeah. and you get to absorb it, right? So for all of us sci-fi fans and space fans and, and, and people who really like the ships, that would have been a nice moment to let breathe for a little bit and really take a look at some of these ships, because... There was a lot of uniqueness to it and things we had never seen before. But things, again, where when I was a kid looking at the technical uh, manuals that they had uh, from the 70s or whatnot, well, you know, they had dreadnoughts, they had all these, they had scouts, they had all these different classes of ship. Um, they, I, they, they took some ideas from that. And then in other phases, they just, you know, they had stuff with, what, three engines or, or two secondary hulls. And it, it was a real mishmash, mm-hmm. all looking very Federation-like, but... But cool. But that would have been, you know, if um, it would have been, you know, you, you, when 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 the Enterprise pops up at Vulcan and, you know, the, the fleet isn't looking like it's in the best of shape because it's in pieces. Um, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, it would have been really cool to kind of see that battle and how, the, how you know, <clears throat> those those ships a little bit more. Right. But, it, you know, that was that was a dramatic effect. Right? Well, if, only, if only Sulu had not left the parking brake on, they would have gotten there in time and we would have seen <laughs> more of the ships and they're in their pristine condition right uh, that's right that's I, I, right you know you look at my favorite star star trek space battle is from first contact uh, mm-hmm. because we get to see you know lots of starfleet ships fighting the board cube and once again you always have to have the enterprise show up late to these things because if they're if they're there at the beginning you know they, it's like they could take on too much damage or get destroyed or whatever they have to swoop in and save the day and that's uh, right. so so it, that's how it goes, right? You need to establish this this overpowering force and how it's destroying ships left and right, and then the Enterprise comes in at the end and and, and saves everybody. Uh, and so, so that's what's going on here. 
I would like to see at some point, you know, there everybody always talks about, are we going to see like a Klingon war and all this stuff? Not that Star Trek is about, look, that's Star Wars, right? They're about wars. We're not about wars. But I would like to see just a fleet-style confrontation. We got to see them on Deep Space Nine. And, you know, for a TV budget in the 90s, they did a great job with it in the Dominion War. I want to see what the uh, the, the Kelvin timeline Excelsior and Miranda class looks like, Ken, don't you? <laughs> I do. I, I really do. And I, I hope that they keep making movies about it. But, you know, one, one comment I'll mention. Well, it's not Star Wars. That's not what it's about. And I hear that all the time. But yet, I see all these people playing um, Star Trek Online and all these video games. And <laughs> I, now, I, I honestly don't play video games, and, and it's just not my thing. But you know, my kids do, and all. And it seems to me, whether they're playing Star Trek or anything else, they're they're blowing up something. You know what I mean? It's right. not, it, it, I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do have um, some some well thought out missions of exploration and, and finding and some mysteries. And I'm sure they do. But uh, you know, I've been seeing what Richard Marquez has been putting on uh, Facebook, and uh, I just see the ships fighting like son of a guns. You know, like <laughs> there's there's phasers going on left and right. So I'm like, yeah, okay. That's why you know when you have questions, oh yeah, we're explorers and all this other stuff. Well. I think that's great for TV, and and it works out well. But I think in the movies you have to have a good mix, uh, right. and 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 you know they, when they do that, they they've got the best of both worlds. So yeah, I'm like you. I I'd be fine with a huge Star Trek battle scene. I would be I would be thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I and the reason I say that is you know we're not Star Wars. Is look that's not all I'm looking for out of Star Trek. I'm looking for you know the human right. condition, the exploration of humanity, all these bigger themes. Those are great, but you can do both. Right, and so let's do both at some point in the Kelvin timeline. I'd love to see it. So, hey, why not? Why, why not? not? Hey, you look at you know a lot of the favorite episodes in Star Trek usually have the most action. Mm-hmm. Not always, not always, but a lot of times they do. Indeed. You know, yesterday's Enterprise or Best of Both Worlds or uh, Balance of Terror. I mean, they're all they're all great episodes, and it's it's okay. And you know, then they have other great episodes, The Inner Light and City on the Edge of Forever, things along those lines where you go, yeah, you know, it's 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 a well thought out beautiful scripts so that's you know that's why i say when you when you can combine the two somehow then then we're we're as happy as can be well starfleet is a humanitarian and peacekeeping armada ken so let's just keep that in mind yeah the just the fact that you are a peacekeeping armada is such a is a is a great you know um, oxymoron but that's okay (laughs) well let's uh let's move on to into darkness well there were some ships at space dock presumably the uss bradbury but uh not enough to really explore so you know we have the enterprise again uh, I don't remember any. I mean, there were minor changes. Ken, do you do you know any like changes that stick out to you about the Enterprise between um, one and two here? Yeah. Well, after the ship is is torn apart um, yeah. <laughs> and, and beat up, when they when they recommission it, um, uh, you do see some changes with uh, the nacelles. Nacelles, right? They, they the kind change. of curve more out. Is that is that what happens? I, I believe. That, that's right. They're they're not quite as uh, they're not quite so up and down. And then you had the um, the impulse drive was a lot bigger. It went it went across mm. the back of the saucer. It was a much bigger shape. So little tweaks um, that you you know you could tell. And I know when after the movie came out, there were some people very very quickly who picked that up. I I was not one of them, by the way, <laughs> not for one second. When I was watching the movie, that they go, oh, they changed this or changed that. It got right past me. <laughs> uh, but you know that that's the beauty of social media. So it, it, that's that's where I really saw the tweak of the Enterprise. Well, well then let's move on to the big one, Ken. The USS Vengeance. What are your thoughts? Okay. So one big bad ship, twice the size, three times the speed. 
I have no idea how that works. Uh, how you how you're three times the speed when we all know how warp drive works, but whatever. It has the dumbest trans warp drive, man. I'm telling you, they got trans warp drive. (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. I don't know, but it had the dumbest name ever. (laughs) Though the design is pretty cool. Um, If it is a class of ships, noted it was a dreadnought class. Nice, and it would be nice if they had a few of these bad boys in reserve. So if they had some bad hombres coming to call on the Federation, they they could pull these things out and, and use them. Uh, if needed. And, you know, there is there is definitely precedent for that thinking. Now, I have read nothing to the point, you know, because they went right back to we are, you know, uh, a ship of exploration and defense and all that other stuff. But um, if you think about history, um, there was these uh, huge ships that, that they would they would keep in reserve, uh, like the HMS Victory, which is still in commission today. Huge, huge dreadnoughts, but they were too big and too costly to man during peacetime. So they just kept them in reserve, and then if they needed them, they off they came, and, and they'd go out and kick some ass pretty good. But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, again, here's trope number two and movie number two of hmm. the big bad ship that's... that's uh, that's that that is uh, going to take out the enterprise and do a lot of damage. I thought the actual design of the ship was pretty cool. I like that it was black. I like that it had an opening um, in its. It, you know, it wasn't practical at all. It just was was pretty neat. Um, but the thing that just really bothered me about the whole thing that took me out of it was the name USS Vengeance. It's just stupid. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's just utterly freaking stupid. And I don't know why writers do that. Um, you you could have you know named it indomitable. You could make it invincible. You could come up with names that make it tough and marauding, um, but not obvious like a bad guy ship. I mean, just come on. I mean, it's already That's, black. You know. I mean. Well, it's 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 big and it's yeah it's 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 dark. It's hard to see. It's 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 a warship. I mean, it's meant to intimidate. That's fine. But it's still a Federation ship run by Federation people. I understand Section Thirty One. But if you if you read Star Trek the motion picture the novelization, the the Klingon and um, and who hasn't really besides me there's probably not a lot out there, uh, but you know the the ships were named like the Avenger and things along those lines you know when they were translated to English that's what they came out to be or standard, mm-hmm. so the Klingons have ships named like that. That would be a cool name, the don't. Avenger. Yeah, I think Disney has the rights to that, though. But uh... it could be a problem today. Yes. <laughs> so, so that was the thing that it was just like, let's. Why do we have to? Be, why do we have to make the villain so villainous? Um, and you know, like I said, just give it a, an intimidating name or something or a code name. Uh, and, and you know, when you, see, it's just like because maybe it's the prefix USS. Um, being a Navy guy, uh, we wouldn't call a ship that. We just wouldn't. We'd call it Firebolt. We have other names. We have, you know, cool names for ships, or we name it after somebody. Uh, and they are ships of war. <laughs> they are meant to intimidate. But we're good guys. Well, why, uh, why would, and, I mean, that's true. Why wouldn't they just be like the NX Vengeance, right? Like the NX-01 or the Defined NX Registry for a while. But why would you call it Vengeance? I mean, if you're even if you are a, a society that has built everything under the premise of peace and prosperity, but there's a threat out there. So you be you build a ship to take on that threat. Why do you go against the grain of everything you grew up with and make a a, a bad ship, right? I mean, to me, that's it. Just made no sense. Well, the best villains no don't sense. see themselves as villains, and if you don't see yourself as a villain, as a hero, you're probably not going to call your ship the Vengeance. So maybe the USS Justice would have been more. Yeah, you know, yeah, because it would have been twisted. That's right. absolutely a great, yeah, or protector. 
whatever, yeah. you know, something that, that allows you to sell this thing um, because eventually it would it would be known to the Federation, especially right. if there is a war and you've got this ship out there and you're calling it the Vengeance and everybody's going to say, oh, geez, I thought we were the good guys. Right. Well, I mean, so I, I thought it was lazy, lazy, lazy writing. Well, there, so. there have been it's 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 polarizing ship. I mean, it's a polarizing movie. You know, we we discussed this. You know, people have very wide swath of opinions about Into Darkness, and uh, you know, just some comments we got in our discussion thread. Lee Hutchinson loves the Vengeance. He says, "I love the Vengeance personally. The size mm-hmm. and the sound of the ship looked amazing on an IMAX screen. I'll never forget the buzz of the ship inside the transwarp tunnel. So, huh? So Lee's on the transwarp drive." Uh, thing with me and uh, he says there we go burst Lee. onto yep. the screen out of warp and it just eclipses the enterprise it gives me goosebumps and uh that is cool you know whenever whenever the uh, great entrance in the kelvin timeline whenever we see the ships like come out of warp and it just like and like they just pop into the environment and then you see like you know we were just talking about when the enterprise shows up at vulcan they just pop in it's just chaos all around them or when they right. or when the vengeance just pops right in front of the enterprise that's a cool effect and that's how it would look you know that's how, if we understand warp sure. drive correctly now i mean i'm not sure that's cutting it really close i mean the thing about star trek is we always joke about how like close these ships get like if they're really in space like i think they wouldn't be literally nose to nose the way we see them <laughs> you know in movies um yep just kind of pretty close to, to drop out of warp like you know 100 feet in front of another ship no margin for well, error is there <laughs> no no I, I mean that's that's a good call out but i mean you could you could put that against anything right star wars is like that and or or even take top gun right yeah, yeah. Uh, the, those f-14s were loaded with what they called the phoenix missile system they could take a, a another plane out 100 miles away that that you know, dog fighting's cool. Firing a missile and watching an explosion deep in the background's pretty freaking boring. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it makes it fun, doesn't oh, it? Oh, of course. Hey, like I was saying, it's cool. It looks cool. It's, That's what it comes cool. down to, right? But uh, it's cool. Dan McWilliams disagrees. He says the vengeance is just too big. I'm not seeing mm-hmm. why it had to be big enough to level forty <laughs> level forty skyscrapers <laughs> and crashing into Earth except to look crazy awesome for a movie. Very true, Dan. But it looked cool, didn't it? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's squashed well, Alcatraz. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned, Ken, like two movies in a row. It's actually three movies in a row with the Enterprise in some oversized black spaceship. Because you think back to Nemesis, uh, you get the Enterprise E, and then you get the Scimitar, you know, Shinzon ship. Uh, a lot, there's a lot, you know, if you, if you look at the movies, guys, there's, there's a lot of similarities between Nemesis, 09, and Beyond, um, not Beyond. Think, yeah, uh, even but even the, the beginning darkness, of First but, Contact. Uh, right? Yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's true as well. But 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 there's it's that shot you see like that two shot of like the little Enterprise and the big giant ship and it just repeats over and over and over and I'm glad we well we, we got it, we got that same shot again and beyond but it was different it was like a swarm of ships right we'll get into that in a second here but uh, that at least makes up the formula that is my criticism of the Vengeance as well the, the name yeah I, I hear you 100 percent they didn't bother me really I guess but I, I totally see your point of view on that Ken I, I agree now that we're talking about it in more depth but um, the fact that we just had this big giant black ship. And, like, that's it? Like, shouldn't they be building, like, a fleet in there and that secret box on Jupiter? I don't know. Uh, and then, of course, you know, this movie wraps up and they pretty much ignore all the consequences of Into Darkness moving into Beyond. Uh, I'm not sure if Robert Orsi would have stayed around if they would have had more follow-through on that thing. I guess this is a one-off prototype ship, The Vengeance, and it went down and then that was that. Well, it's funny. If you call, the usually the first ship you build is the class that it is. Okay, and that's very consistent. 
And and so that's why I say, you know, when you say a dreadnought, now dreadnought is a famous name, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a dreadnought is the name of a British battleship that was considered to be, you know, the most powerful ship built in its day. And so um, there was more than one just, there was more, so they used to call the fleet of those battleships the dreadnoughts, the dreadnoughts, I'm sorry, dreadnoughts, not mm-hmm. dreadnoughts, but dreadnoughts. And and so when you when you hear, okay, dreadnought class, you go, oh, okay, so it's a dreadnought, meaning it's it's one big bad warship, it's a... Uh, you know, uh, if if even in navy terms, if you say that ship's a dreadnought, you know it's probably the biggest baddest in its in 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 the world or biggest in the fleet, and you don't mess with it. Um, so in this case, when they say class, when they add that, I again, I I think that's the writing being lazy. I don't think there's another ship, but boy, you could really play with that. You could if you say it's a class of ships, right? Well, then then like I said, then you could be looking at having a few of those bad boys and. You know, you could have vengeance and um, revenge and, um, you know, USS ticked off, whatever you want to call it, you know, all in... Uh, in, in uh, USS Sidious, uh, uh, <laughs> Tyranus, Maul, and of course Vader. Uh <laughs> Well, uh, the uh, <laughs> well, the, don't for, don't don't forget, Ken. The uh, we live in a universe where the uh, USS Enterprise in the original series was Starship class on its dedication plaque. So, uh, uh, just because Khan called a dreadnought class, I don't know, right? What does what does he know? From nineteen ninety six, he doesn't know what's up. He's using old terminology here. Well, he designed the whole ship. That's yeah. That's. That's a conversation for another time. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll talk another time then. Okay. So, Zach, let me ask you a question about the new Klingon patrol, tri- patrol ships. How about the new Klingon patrol ships we saw in this movie? I, they never really said it, but I assumed it. Is it the new Bird of Prey? Well, you know, we've been talking, we've talked a lot about the Bird of Prey here on Standard Orbit. Uh, and yeah i guess i mean like they just make different sizes of these things so this is like the the shuttlecraft size bird of prey these little birds of prey that come out of the bigger birds of prey i guess um yeah. it, it's it can move around in an atmosphere as it has been established with the bird of prey so it's not so crazy to think that they would just have smaller versions you know just that's what apple does with the iphone so i'm sure that's what the klingons do with the bird <laughs> of prey that's my that's my go-to analogy for these things um okay. i mean they definitely look like a um an upgraded uh you know, I mean, Enterprise did kind of birds of prey looking ships, uh, and it reminded me a little bit of those. I mean, I, I, not exactly or anything, but that, that was my take on it. And, uh, you know, speaking of the Klingons, you know, I want to get back to one thing that just annoyed me in 09 <laughs> when Kirk is doing the uh, Kobayashi Maru. Right. And they call them Klingon warbirds. It's like, no, 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 no. No, there's a Klingon battlecruisers. Romulans have warbirds. Klingons have birds of prey. Can we get our terminology straight? All right. Anyway, that just that reminded me of the the only other Klingon ships we see here before this are in the of course the Kobayashi Maru, and uh, those are not and they looked a lot like traditional Klingon yeah D sevens Katinga class whatever. But don't call them warbirds. Mm. I mean, the, people get confused already about the birds of prey and Romulans and Klingons. Don't be calling Klingon ships warbirds. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's just. <laughs> Trekkie rage, but <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Uh, you know that that's that's a good call out because I when I hear those things too, I cringe for a second, but then I get right back into the story and off it goes. Yeah, yeah, it didn't like ruin anything for me, but I was like, oh, come on, guys, you got the Apple stuff right. You got so much right in that scene. Well, the yeah, I mean, well, on. you know what? Again, when I when I say lazy writing, so let me make this. I, I liked O nine. I did. Oh, I loved O nine uh, as well. Yeah. Okay. It was it was a good movie. It was it was a lot of fun. But when I say lazy writing, I, I, I do think that, that that's one of the, the things that, that 
Rob, Roberto Orsi and and the whole team that that did the first two movies on occasion really fell into that trap. And I guess for the people that aren't really geeks, um, that's okay, right? When they when they screw things up like that or they name a bad ship the Vengeance, just stupid. But what I would say is that whole Kabayashi Maru test that they went through. They build this set. They have it so elaborate. It still makes no sense how he wins, right? There was no, there was no tactical genius. Yeah, involved. it was a computer hack. It was disappointing to see. Yeah, I... that's what I mean. So you know, it sounded like in in Star Trek Two that he changed the conditions of the test in order to pass. Not just all of a sudden, hey, our ships, our weapons fire and they can't, <laughs> and you you fire three torpedoes and it blow it up. He just put, no, it, he I, put the game genie on the Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Versus some kind of um, beautiful tactical maneuver that that you were allowed to take that that the program wouldn't have allowed you to take in the first place and come up with a way of defeating the ships. I don't know why I went down that track. Well, Probably because you best brought not, up the Klingon ships. Right. But. It's sometimes it's best not to see these iconic things that have been discussed. See the Star Wars prequels uh, because they can't live up to what you thought. You know. I mean. Well, in this case, it did from the from the um, from the test itself or from the sets and all that stuff and kind of the comedy that was involved yeah, and yeah. you know how everything goes up and down. I just wish again they had put some more thought mm-hmm. into not just like you said the game genie, but. <laughs> defeating defeating the Klingons do you know some some crazy maneuvers that they would have been like hey the ship wasn't programmed to do that what did this kid do you know versus a power up power down I'm on a tangent I'm done tangent tangent that's what this show's all about tangent alert that's can we get a sound effect we're a for border. tangent alert <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so the Klingon ships in Into Darkness yeah they were fine like once again I don't really have a strong opinion about them unless you did Ken not a strong opinion. I thought they were a little dull. I mean, where all the other ships they uh, they put a lot of effort into, there there wasn't much into this. It didn't have um, that distinct figure or or that di- distinct front end. You know, where you you see the bridge and the torpedo firing and all that stuff. It it mm-hmm. just seemed very uh, um, very blah. You know, it was fine. You know, I thought it was cool that they you know they could. That they could repel down from the ship and you know send send, send the troops right into battle and all that. It was, there, was some, there was some neat aspects to it, but no, it didn't. Wasn't great. Wasn't this just just kind of blah? I guess we had uh, and we also had uh, Mud's ship uh, from the from the, the the ship they use on Kronos from the Mud incident. That was something that was established in the comic book. That was his half Bajoran daughter's ship. So go read your Star Trek comic books to know where that came from. But, uh, you know, just a generic kind of freighter design flying around on Kronos. Talking about it, it was the Jupiter 2 in JJ's verse. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. That's, that's a good call. Is it, was it really? Was that inspired? That inspired the design? It might have because it does. Now that you mention it, it looks a lot like it. <laughs> um, so that was that ship. That's, really, that's the one we see chasing and running from the Klingons there. That's right. That's right. And, yeah, I mean, that about does it. Okay, so let's move to beyond. You ready? So um, your thoughts on Krull's attack fighters. And then if you want to talk about Yorktown, we can, but then we'll, we'll finish it off. But what about those attack, those attack ships? Oh, they were cool. I mean, I like the concept mm. of them. The concept was brilliant, right? I mean, it's, it was. We, we saw Unique. it in Voyager's The Swarm. So I'll, I'll give Voyager credit where Voyager's do credit. Uh, so we've seen, only seen it once before in Star Trek. But the, the, the thought of having a, a swarm of small ships, right? attack a bigger yep. ship uh, it's great and how they work in concert together and um it was a very cool it was finally shaking up the formula we had seen for three movies in a row now about the giant massive ship versus the little tiny starfleet ship uh i liked it and that was a very creative way not only are they you know 
they can, they they board your ship too. I mean, because we see you know, they they attack the Enterprise, they cut it into, they crash into it, and then they they you know uh, drill into it, and then the the Kroll's troops come out you know onto the ship. So that that's that's a very dangerous kind of adversary to have. Yeah, yeah, and, and there was a lot of sacrifice, right? There had to be, uh, especially when they when they when they go crashing into the deflector dish and so forth and. You know, it's not like those ships are just coming out the other side. I think they're, they're, you know, a few of them punch the holes and then they're able to make it bigger and then they're able to stab themselves into the ship. It was, it was pretty, um, it was, it was a, it was very they visceral. really were cool. Yeah. It was, yeah, it really was. But it was, it was one of those things the whole time I was watching it, my heart was breaking. It was, it was, it was really powerful. So they came up with a, a brilliant idea and concept uh, and took it to a whole new level. And you're right, Voyager came up with the swarm, but not so. You know, they they added the whole kamikaze, oh, but course, not yeah. really kamikaze aspect to it. That was amazing. You know, and when they when they cut the nacelles off and all that stuff, I was just watching the Enterprise die literally from a thousand mosquito bites mm. was a hell of a lot more painful than you know watching it take hits and so forth. You know, firing mano y mano on with another ship that it just was outclassed by. This was a whole different thing, and it had quite the emotional impact on me. And I, I thought those ships, as much as I hated them, man, were they effective. Yeah. And what about their design? Did you anything stick out to you about those? Or yeah, they kind of had like a um, I don't know. I, I kind of like an inverted spider type mm. design. You know, with those those spires in the front that allowed you to you know to 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 stick into things. So yeah, I, I mean, I thought I thought like everything about it was was they they were pretty neat for what they did. I, I thought they were clever, and um, yeah, I I, I like the design because of of what they were able to do with it. It was it was such like you said, it was a very very unique concept. Yeah. Well, the other ship we see, of course, is the Franklin. Uh, yeah. Although more or less an NX design uh, from Enterprise, you know, that continuity is great to see. I know we talked a little bit about that when we talked about Beyond, but. Uh, uh, kudos to them for paying you know we talk about lazy writing but here give credit to like you know attention to detail here with the franklin because it totally fits in to the established yep. star trek universe doesn't it ken a big big difference in that stuff and that's where i think when you have people that really love the show uh like doug and and um simon peck simon peck thank you <laughs> scotty it's like oh my god i was gonna say scotty but yeah simon peck they did a brilliant job with this. They they captured a lot of details and a lot of nuanced things that that made the this movie so enjoyable. And I thought, you know, the the Franklin and we understand it's uh, Franklin yes. uh, is 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 a beautiful ship, and and it really plays on really well with being at the first warp four ve- warp four vessel. And uh, it's I don't know. To me, it was it was absolutely right. It it would have been something if they just tweaked the engines to look. A little bit more closely to um, to the original timeline once because it's in in my mind it's the same timeline. I know people are like it's an alternative universe. It's like yeah, it is now for convenience. Well, you can say the same thing about the, the you can say the same thing about the Kelvin, really, Ken. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you, you wanted to, use, well, we choose not to because we don't care about. Such we choose things. not to. Like I said, it's it's <laughs> it's 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 a. Um, it's a new interpretation, which is fine, and yeah. we all look through. We look at things through different lenses at times. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I like the Franklin. It was a, it was a, it was it was a cool ship, and um, it, it, it definitely served a purpose. I know we have uh, Norm and other friends out there that that, that love it. I mean, absolutely well, uh, love it. The, big, big, big Enterprise fans love that ship. The bridge seemed huge, didn't it? Like there was so much space on that bridge for an older, smaller ship. <clears throat> 
It it did a lot more than than the NX01 mm-hmm. for sure. And you know, that's that's one of those consistent inconsistencies on Star Trek where you have in some cases everything's really tight, right? And if, even if you take the the Enterprise from this movie, the bridge is a good size, but it's jam-packed with equipment and people displays and, and all kinds displays. of stuff. I like that. I like yeah. how it's, it's busy. It's full of activity, you know. Right. Like like you would you would you would assume it would be. And, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that go, oh, well, you know, um, maybe they remove things because they were stranded there. So who knows, right? Yeah, there's always but a way. There's always a justification. There's, there's always somebody out there to, <laughs> to kind of defend it. But, it, you know, if you look at the Voyager, it makes no sense for that bridge to be that big on such a tiny ship. Good point. Right? The Voyager's a small ship, and it's like, you know, she's she's got an office, a ready room. It's it's like, what the heck? And even the ready room is, is bigger than the the, um, the battle bridge. Wow. You know, I never <laughs> thought about that. Her ready room is a lot bigger and better than Picard's, isn't it? Ah. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a really big set. And, you know, for all practical terms, it's a very impractical bridge mm-hmm. because your stations, especially some of your key ones, are all behind you. So it's a smaller ship. And it has one console for navigation and for propulsion and for for helms, so it's 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 a hell of a con. Um, but then you know everything else is behind you, uh, and there's no and, line of sight because you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you're not in a chair either that spins around so you can talk to them. Mm-hmm. So you're you know it's that's what I mean it, from a practical point of view. You know aesthetically it, it looked fine, but from a practical point of view it, it really wasn't that neat. And I think. That's kind of where the Franklin kind of pops in too. I think it mm-hmm. was it was probably more practical than a, a Voyager bridge because it still had that center seat because right. he likes that seat. Um, he likes that but seat. he likes that seat. But the bridge is is pretty barren. It yeah. is pretty barren. I like their. Uh, I'm not sure what room it was, but uh, when they went down, you know, where Spock's recovering and where they see the video of the crew, like that, that reminded me of like the Millennium Falcon a little bit. You know, just that was like the galley. The, I believe yeah, that was the galley. galley. Okay, I just yeah. you know lived in. We were, t- we were talking about earlier with the with the Kelvin. Uh, you know, here with the Franklin that kind of lived in. You know, the yeah. ship's been around. You know, it's been sitting on this planet for two hundred years, right? Uh, so it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's cool. I I I like the Franklin. I think everybody did. It was uh, mm-hmm. we didn't know what to make of it when we saw it in the trailer. Like, whoa, where, where's this ship coming from? And there it was. So there it was. Yeah. Well, Ken, that's gonna bring it to the big one, huh? Here at the end. We're here now. So the last ship, the new and improved NCC-1701-A USS Enterprise. What'd you think, Zach? Did they get it right? Well, they didn't get it wrong. Uh, okay. I, Good response. <laughs> Boy, that was quick. I uh, I wish it would have changed more between the the dash nothing and the dash a uh i just you know as we've been talking about they've refined the enterprise you know more and more as as it has gone on uh through these three kelvin timeline films and um you know i i honestly i did i'm i'm glad we got the dash a i just expected it to look a little different i I expected more either to more tos inspired or more original films inspired I just I feel like if you lined all these up in a row, yes, there are people on the internet as you mentioned. They'd be like, "Oh, well, you see the two centimeters uh, shorter on the nacelles and all that." But just to the layman, you're like, "Yeah, those all look exactly the same to me." So I think they should have taken the opportunity and changed more things. Now we haven't seen the inside yet, so I'm hoping they take advantage of the fact we got a new ship and kind of update the inside some to kind of convey that. Yeah, more. that's 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 my take on it. I just wanted to see more change because it's a brand new ship. You know what I mean? No, I believe me, I do. I I think there was some pretty significant changes, especially uh, the way the engines are set. Uh, it's got a thicker neck, um, you know. The, so there's some things that they definitely improved, and they made it a little bit more like 
Star Trek refit uh, Enterprise. It is um, it is better proportioned. I can I can say that much. Yeah. Yep, yep. So and it slides back. It just it just had you know the 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 big engines would have been something that that would have been cool if they kind of got their arms around that a little bit. But mm. um, I'm, I'll tell you one thing though. It was funny because we know the before we went and saw the movie, we know that the Enterprise gets taken out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I know some people that went to see the premiere down in San Diego. Well, we both do. But my uh, my son was there. His mom was there um, uh, to see the premiere. And in one of the in and I and I said to Code, my son, I said, uh, I said, just just tell me that they at the end of the movie we're not we're not stuck someplace and that they build us another enterprise. In other words, I don't want to wait for the next movie to see what the uh, the new ship would look like mm-hmm. if the if there is even one. Um, the little <laughs> didn't tell me anything. <laughs> he, he's, oh, well, yeah, you know, well, you know, and, and he's saying it like, oh, I don't want to disappoint you, Dad. So I was thrilled. Um, and I, you know, you could see it coming, especially when they kept looking up from that party. You're going, okay, they're watching something. Or when they arrived, actually, at the very front end, and they said, well, the one that we have under construction will have better sensors and better this than, right, than right. the Brand Enterprise. The seeds. But, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were definitely given hints there that uh, that, that that huge space station in the Yorktown was actually, you know, um, I guess it had a million people on it, but I guess it built ships, which was pretty cool. So I, I was, I was just thrilled that we got one. I've seen some pretty good pictures on the internet. Uh, Aaron Harvey had sent me some composite pictures. Uh, a friend of his actually worked on the design of this thing, and uh, so I got to see it a little bit more, I think, than um, uh, than than in the movie because you don't see it very much. No, not at all. Uh, you see it, you, the time lapse construction, and then it kind of goes off to space at the end, and that's really all we get. So. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping on the next one, uh, they, they again, uh, they, they let it breathe a little bit and let us get a good look at this ship. Uh, and, well, yeah, and I don't, I don't want to sound too negative here. I just kind of wanted no, more fine. change, you know. I just because you know we criticize things. Oh, they just they blew up the Enterprise D so they could sell more toys for the Enterprise Z, right, or whatever. It's like, well, hey, we blew up the Enterprise here. Let's see something more different for the for the uh, Enterprise A. But you know, hey, let's turn let's turn it back around on me, Devil's Advocate. There is no difference between, literally zero difference, other than the letter A, between the Enterprise refit and the Enterprise A. So, who am I to talk? <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> well, there, there wasn't, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. Externally. Externally, anyway. So. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and I, I hear exactly what you're saying, but... You know, I think th- th- part of this could be emotion too, because there's a part of me that really wants to like this. Yeah, uh, I, I love the movie Beyond. You mm-hmm. know, like I said, the Enterprise is my favorite character, um, and and I'm hoping that the um, the Enterprise A, when I really get to look at it, and I haven't, I haven't found like a a cutout version of it. There's, you know, they're talking about putting a model together, and I guess you know there was a very deliberate because they they wanted to keep that a surprise for the end. Um, you know, they didn't market it or anything right. like that. Very there was smart. nothing well that, done. Yeah, by the way, there was guys. nothing. Yeah, there was nothing to indicate that there was going to be a new Enterprise in this movie. So they 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 did a great job with it. So I don't know, man. I it it's, <laughs> it works for me. It definitely works for I, me. But uh, we'll see. You know, you you asked me off the top what I thought about the Enterprise, and I was you know kind of negative then as well. But I'll say, look, they continue. It gets better with every film, every refinement. I'm a fan of. You know, so onwards and upwards for. <laughs> For the yeah, Enterprise hey, here. we'll see what we'll see what the director <laughs> thinks of of the one that they just created, and if yeah. they want to tweak it a little bit more, and they will, because they they tweaked it for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very beginning, they tweaked it again, and now you know we'll we'll see how it how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For uh, for another movie and beyond. So, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and hey, some good news on that. It's making a ton of mo- money in China. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think last time we talked, like their total revenue was like $234 million or something. They're, they're over $330 million from what I saw. Worldwide Worldwide. Now? Yeah, excellent. Worldwide, yeah. Excellent. So, so yeah. So that, that hopefully, because Paramount's, boy, they're in rough shape financially. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll make the investment. Those movies aren't cheap. Yeah, well, you know, they don't, they don't have to not be cheap. You know, so just tell tell a nice enterprise based story. Let's have a bottle movie. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you show off the exter- exterior and interior of the new ship. You know, let's let's get to know the new Enterprise A. I would love that in Star Trek Four, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and we hopefully a few more movies after that as well. So these are these are franchises now. So I, I don't think we're gonna be like four, five, six are done. And we could we could see. I don't know. It's all dependent on the cast, but I would love to you know get to know this ship more because every movie, you know, every movie the ship gets like the crap beat out of it you know and just like to the brink of death you know and, and at 09 into darkness and obviously beyond it literally gets destroyed so let's let's live with this ship a little bit you know i, I want to i want to get to know the a i want to get to know like where stuff is and because you, you really have a sense of a lot of geography like we talk about how big the ships are in the kelvin timeline like i don't know where the shuttle bay is i mean I, obviously i know where the shuttle bay is but spock got on a uh turbo lift from the shuttle bay he's on the bridge in five seconds you know that's what you know that throws me off like where where are kirk and spock walking in that giant hallway i was talking about where's this room that kirk and the bones are having a drink in you know i don't know where's the wreck deck i want to see the wreck deck right from like the motion picture that was such a cool part of that film Let, let's see where people congregate and playing that weird game that decker and i Lee are playing with lights i want to know how to play that game so it serves no purpose but i want to know how to play it so anyway <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you you and I are aligned on that, and I I don't know if they can squeeze that all into a movie, or, but they could do it into a series of movies. And let's let's start treating these ships with some reverence and some respect yes. because yes. it's it's getting old. Um, the the constant beating. It's it's a beautiful ship. It's a powerful ship. Um, they didn't play those games uh, in the original series. Uh, they certainly didn't play it in the original motion picture. I mean, they played it with the the big, big, big adversary. I get that, but that really technically wasn't a ship, I guess. But at any rate, um, you know, the Enterprise was was like, I will give the the next generation a lot of credit. They treated the Enterprise with a lot of respect. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of its design per se or whatnot, but it was the Federation flagship. It meant something. It was powerful. Um, you know, throughout its run, it it had some you know um, uh, some skirmishes with with bigger ships and stuff, but it wasn't all that common. But yeah, that that trope gets old. Let the Enterprise be the big bad bully if it needs to be, exactly. or the, or the good guy that can turn away the bully because it is powerful. Let, let and, it be the big stick that it. Theodore Roosevelt talked about carrying. Right there, you go. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking about these the starships design. I feel like obviously in this part of our discussion, Ken, we could go into a lot more in depth about every ship because there's just there's there's less of them. I mean, there's only three films here to talk about. We last our last episode, we talked about all of TOS and all of the movies, and we really did kind of blow through it fast. But there's just so much to say. So if you guys please, if you have any more comments about things we missed, obviously we missed a whole lot because we were blowing through it fast. Please let us know in the Babel Conference, and and we can continue the conversation because you know as you can tell, we enjoyed talking about this this extreme minutia of the Star Trek universe. That's what we're here to do, right, Ken? Well, that that's right. And and I'm sure it's a topic that, that we'll come back to many times or, or maybe we'll just focus on a ship or 
uh, a situation or anything along those lines because it, it is a lot of fun and it seems to draw a lot of attention. And, and you know, I think, I think what we want to do, Zach, is as much as we can is give the listeners what they want to hear. So, and the only way we get that is, is through uh, your comments on the Babel Conference or if, if you write us reviews on iTunes or, or whatever it is, uh, or if you send us IMs. Uh, I mean, uh, or Twitter. Or, or, on Twitter, or Twitter, too. We're there. So. Yeah, we're all there. And we'll, we'll go through in a minute all the different ways you can get in touch with us. But it really is important. Uh, you know, the one thing that, that, uh, that, that Zach and I are really, really focused on is what is it that you guys really want to hear and how can we make this show grow? And we appreciate you more than we can express. Uh, the feedback we get means a lot. And, you know, bad feedback too, or, or something you don't like. I mean, anything that's constructive that can help us improve, we're on it. Trust me, we're on it. Absolutely, Ken, absolutely. We love starships and we love discussing with you on Standard Orbit. But this isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. We can't forget the best part of this episode, absolutely, hands down, is how tight Spock's pants are in this episode. He has got some epically tight pants. You know, Brendan, I wasn't really paying attention to that, so I'll take your word for it. But he's like, yeah, Brendan, I can't say I noticed that. (laughs) Literary Treks. Because I love the idea that you have all these artifacts that, that, that all do something different with time. And how do you prevent them from being used? Saturday Morning Trek. Remember, principal photography hasn't even started yet. So these concept designs are just that. Concepts. If this was 1976, you'd be getting sketches. And disco. Melodic treks. Those are totally like you could clearly tell that they were going for a, a mamas and the papas kind of vibe with the music that they were that they were doing, right? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscription button. That makes it easier for our listeners to find the show when they search for iTunes. And we love new listeners, so please, please, please subscribe directly to Standard Orbit as well as the Trek FM Master Feed and help us increase our visibility for new listeners. Also, we would ask you to help us out with Patreon. Well, what is Patreon? Well, Patreon is the method that we use to fund the network. So I would encourage you all, if you can, if you can afford it, to go on to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trek FM and become a patron. And for as little as $15 a month, you can join Trek FM's patron roundtable, which is wonderful. I mean, this is how I found my way onto the network. And who knows what could happen to you, right? You, you might find your way. And then if you're kind enough to donate $25 per month or more, uh, you get associate producer credit for the shows of your choice. And that's a big deal. And speaking of that, we would like to say thank you always to our associate producers for this show, for Standard Orbit, Renee Roberts, Richard Rutledge, and Aaron Harvey. Thanks so much for all of your support for both Standard Orbit and for Trek FM through Patreon. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701. Richard, you can find at at RUT8972. And you can find our buddy Aaron Harvey at GeekFilter, all on Twitter. So look them up, follow them, and, uh, and thank you again.
And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look into the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. And please leave us a voice message that we can play here on the show. You can hear your own voice on the podcast. Pretty fun. So feel free to do that. And you can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or through Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And the Babel Conference. To find us at the Babel Conference, type The Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Babel Conference is a great way for you to connect with fellow listeners and the hosts of the network. So as for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H, and I'm also the host of my own podcast called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman TV show. And we're on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? So you can find me as well on the Babel Conference. That's where I like to hang out. It's my favorite spot on Facebook, to be honest with you. It's the safest, funnest, uh, most respectful spot to talk Star Trek on the entire interweb. So... Look for me there, and feel free to also look for me on Facebook at any time, and feel free to IM me with questions, or or, or if you just want to hook up and be friends. Or you can uh, you can get information from me via Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter now, at Boston SCPO. That's Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer SCPO. And I look forward to communicating with you in between these shows, and especially when they drop. That's when it's a lot of fun. So we'll talk to you soon. So thanks, everyone, again for listening. And join us next time here on Trek.fm for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.